biggest games. Oh my God, the biggest events. Wow, the crowd is on their feet. The biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it was you asked in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the ESPN Esports Podcast. It's Rachel here in studio with Jacob. And before we kick things off, Jacob has a word from our sponsors. Gamers like to customize everything, from their gaming rig all the way down to the way their characters look. And now Schick has developed a way for them to customize their shave too. Introducing new Schick Hydro 5 Sense razors and refills. Equipped with innovative shock absorber technology, the razor auto-adjusts based on how you shave, backing off or adding pressure when needed. Three custom gel formula refill cartridges enable you to further personalize your shave. Available in hydrate gel with coconut oil to hydrate throughout each shave, comfort gel with herbal extracts to comfort skin, and energized gel with menthol to wake up tired skin. Schick sent me some products. I've been using them the last couple of weeks, and particularly I've, I've kind of taken a liking to the hydrate gel. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. It's uh, gotten me a really clean shave the last couple of weeks when I've been on the road in Scotland, when I've been in South by Southwest, in Austin, Texas. It's just really been a great experience, and I really appreciate them hooking us up and sponsoring this podcast. So if you want to customize your shave, use new Schick Hydro 5 Cents, available now at Walmart for an everyday low price. For more savings, visit Schick.com. I feel like I've been shamelessly plugging away, but I'll be speaking at an NYU law panel about the growth of esports this Friday. Um, be sure to check it out. I think there's still time to register for the event, so go online and look it up. And we're going to dive into our topic of the day, which is EU LCS franchising. So some big news broke yesterday involving the European League Championship Series in Berlin. And for those who missed it, Essentially, the ULCS is going to implement changes such as revenue sharing, franchising, and increasing player salaries and benefits starting in 2019. So no more relegation. And Riot is accepting applications, I believe, today. Right, Jacob? Yeah, today through July 1st is my understanding from what they posted. I don't think anybody's going to be turning in applications today, but I believe that we will uh, start hearing about some people who do within the next couple of months. Right. It's just not esports until you hand things in in the last minute. But I mean, I guess I, I was just taken by the buy-in price, which is 8 million euros or 9.93 million USD for current teams and 10.5 million euros and 13 million USD for teams not currently in the league. So how does this compare to the NALCS buy-in price from last year? Yeah, so for endemics, it's about uh, $100,000 less. For non-endemics or n- new teams, it's about uh, $0.02 million more, which is about $2,000 more. So it's really about the same as North America. And this is what I expected. I had heard the €8 million Euro figure a couple of months ago. It was something I thought that was going to be the case. I did not know the figure until yesterday for the new teams. But I'm, I can't say I'm not surprised by these uh, these numbers. They match up with everything I had heard previously. Now, let's talk about revenue sharing for a second. How is that going to work in the new ULCS system? Right. So in an ideal world, and they already have one deal. So the Riot uh, deal with BAMTech is already existing, and that is something that they're going to be using and distributing among each of their regions. And we've already seen Riot kind of start making plans for this. So they currently own broadcast rights for the English broadcast for every region except for Korea, and they are regaining that right by the end of this year for the 2019 season. So it's very likely, I would say, that that they implement the BAMTech strategy starting next year when they have the English rights for everything, and they can put everything on their platform with all of their control, which means their own advertising that they can put on there, such as uh, live ads, video ads that you see. 
and as well as what they do right now in the NALCS where they brand State Farm under the desk. And, and those types of deals are what Riot will contribute to the pool. That BAM Tech deal is $300 million. There will be an additional uh, sponsorship deals. There will be more sponsorship deals, I think, across each league depending on what the consumer product is. So imagine like some of the telecom companies and stuff like that in, in Korea that will want to sponsor and have those ad placements. And in Europe, I would imagine that there will be different types of companies that are very European friendly. I, I would guess like airlines, like Lufthansa and stuff. And this is all speculation, but like I would, I, I would guess those are the types of brands that want to buy this type of ad space. And so each of those, uh, the BAMTech deal will be split across all the regions that have revenue sharing, which currently is three or will be three, North America, Europe and China. And then with the individual sponsorship deals, like the State Farm deal and whatever the ULCS gets, those will also be in that pool. Here's where it gets interesting. What they actually did not say about North America when it first happened, but they did clarify yesterday about Europe. And to be clear, it does happen in North America. Riot just wasn't very forthcoming about it. Teams will have to contribute to this pool as well. So teams merchandising and teams sponsorships, if they have a sponsorship that is is gotten on the basis of being four league of legends they will have to contribute to this pool so teams will have to put part of their money in the pool as well this is a lot of the reason why we saw people like immortals kicked out of the league from the north american lcs last week is or last year rather because uh they were not making revenue they they had sponsorships but none of them were making them above even and so they were not contributing revenue to this pool and they were they were not going to be able to so riot you know, kind of knowingly got rid of them for part of that. Right. And how does that affect the minimum salary coming into the ULCS? Right. So it's distributed. Uh, mostly the players get the biggest share, which is a 35% share, and that will help fund part of their salaries. So if there is a player that's being paid, un- no player will be paid under the 74,000 or 75,000, which I believe is 60 mi- or 60,000 euros. They will not be paid under that. And this will essentially allow for them the revenue sharing part that is given to the players will fund those salaries. So I doubt that there will be any players at that salary number next year, particularly if a lot of the not necessarily wealthy teams like Unicorns of Love and Rocket, if they either find an investment partner or they get removed from the league, if that happens, um, which I anticipate there will be some teams that get kicked. I, I think that's part of this process, and I don't know who those are yet, but... If the teams that aren't necessarily paying huge salaries are not able to, then this will, the idea is that this will supplement that and the the players will have a minimum salary based off the revenues that the league and the teams are making. Right. And, you know, do you think we'll see an influx of traditional sports teams trying to break into the EULCS team now? Like, what will the investment landscape look like compared to the NALCS? Where we saw a bunch of basketball teams buy in. I think it's very clear that football clubs, soccer, um, are very interested in esports. Many of them already have FIFA players. You have people like FC Copenhagen who already have North, which is the Counter-Strike team. There is definitely interest on the continent from professional sports teams to be in esports. So here's the next question. Is that esports League of Legends? And it's hard to answer that question. I think that's probably going to be the largest debate in the next couple of months leading up to July is, is it worth it? The type of people I think we will see in both the Overwatch League and the EU LCS for Europe will be North American or Middle Eastern investors that own soccer brands. So I'm thinking City Football Group would be a great example of this. They are Middle Eastern owned. 
Middle Eastern investors, for context, tend to spend money more like American investors. They they spend high risk. They spend on a lot of different things. And then if one of them pays off, then they're super rich again. And that's the idea. It's that risk factor. European and Asian investors don't tend to invest like that. We've talked about that previously. So there are a lot of teams that fit that criteria. Arsenal is owned by the Cronkies, who own the Los Angeles Gladiators and a bunch of other sports teams in, in North America. Uh, the Fulham team is owned by Shot Khan, who owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. Swansea City is owned by a group that owns the Memphis Grizzlies that are all Americans. There are a lot of people in Europe that fit that description. And I think those are the types of people who will be a lot more on board with spending that type of money very quickly. For the others, though, that don't necessarily have that investment, you have to look at Schalke as like the example. And Schalke is not a very good example right now. Let's be clear. Schalke has for the last couple of years, really been a failure in League of Legends. They went all out and were one of the most expensive rosters in EULCS this split and play seventh. It, it does not look good for them, and it, it shows that mismanagement of, of a roster and a lineup can really lead to a terrible downfall of your team. I don't think they're a great example. Paris Saint-Germain was also not a great example for the way things ended with them in League of Legends. I think that that's a little different. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain, for context, is owned by a a Qatar company, so they are also Middle Eastern investors. So I I don't think it will be that much of a problem if they want to come back into the league, which they have previously said that they have interest in League of Legends um, again. So I... I'm curious to see what the landscape is right now. There's a lot of interest and a lot of discussion right now that I've heard about, but nothing that's very solid in terms of, yeah, we're going to put in an application by July. Yeah, and I think by getting rid of relegation, it helps encourage more of these traditional investors to come into the space and, you know, it's a little less risk for them in the long term. I do think one thing you said earlier in another podcast was sort of interesting, which is that a lot of these teams, you know, they invest in these esports teams, not just because it's a long-term investment. I think they're aware of the fact that they might operate at a net loss in the first two or three or, you know, even five years. And they're doing it for pride or they're doing it to grow their brand in the space. Because obviously the audience is there and they're young and hip. And, you know, sometimes it is about it is about pride in that aspect, which I find interesting. I talked to a source the other day that consults for a lot of traditional sports teams and has consulted for a lot of traditional sports owners as they look to buy teams. Something he said really striked home to me, which was that some of these people don't buy just for the investment and the return. They buy for the fact that it makes them look good. They buy for the image. And a lot of people like are like that. You you can tell that the Kroenke family is a family that will never have money issues. They are. The Ann Kroenke, his, uh, Stan Kroenke's wife, is the heir to the Walmart fortune. Stan Kroenke is a real estate mogul who now owns the Los Angeles Rams, the Colorado Rapids, the Denver Nuggets, like the Colorado Avalanche. He owns Arsenal. He owns some of the biggest sports teams in the world. And why would he need to be in esports? Why would the Los Angeles Gladiators make any sense? Well, it's, it's another place he can kind of put his empire, you know? And I think that 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 truly is what some of these people do buy for. And I I do think it's more pride than it is necessarily investment. I think it's balanced by people that see a long-term future here as well. Uh, I I think you see some of those people already invested in Europe, like the Miami Heat, invested in Misfits. Those are people that are buying for for the long-term future. And they see what the market is in esports and the demographics of esports, which is very heavily 18 to 29 and they get that, and that that makes sense to them. So, 
truly more than anything, I think there is going to be a balance of who buys in. And, and I really am curious to see who does put in an application, whether it be by themselves or by trying to acquire by the end of the year. All right. Hey, everyone, we're going to cut to break in a second, but I have some good news. Spotify is making it easy for you to stream this podcast and many others like it on your mobile device, desktop app and smart speaker. Open the app on your mobile device or desktop, click on the browse channel, then click on podcast. You'll be able to stay thoroughly entertained during your commute to work, drive home and downtime now thanks to Spotify. Also, you can tweet us your thoughts at Rachel Yonggu or at Jacob N. Wolf, and you can also find us in the ESPN app. If you subscribe to Esports in it, we can send you an alert whenever we have a new episode. All right, we're back with the ESPN Esports podcast. Diving back into EU LCS franchising, Jacob, tell me more about how the application process works and what advice you would give to people applying. Take your application very serious if you listen to this podcast. Last year, I saw two of the existing LCS teams write applications that were under 50 pages and that some of them that wrote them two days before they were due. They didn't take this seriously, and both of them got kicked out of the league, so I'll leave you to guess who they were. <laughs> Vice versa, I saw two other teams who wrote 200 and 250 page applications that were four-page pamphlets and were stunning. The way they looked, the type of people they hired to consult and freelance on the, the organization of these was incredible. And both of those teams got accepted. It is truly important that you take this seriously because Riot does take this seriously themselves. They have brought in a lot of new people, both in North America and Europe, that oversee this type of stuff. The person that saw, oversaw North America is Chris Greeley. And so for background on Chris, he is a former lawyer who worked in New York at one of the biggest law firms in all of New York, Herrick Feinstein LLP. That's a big hire for Riot Games. They've just hired some new people in EU, and they're looking to hire some more people in EU as well. I would imagine there are going to be similar big swings, too. So if you do listen to this podcast, I know some people do that own European holdings. If you do, take it seriously. This is this is not a joke. Just because you are a major soccer team or a major American investment group that wants to own something in Europe doesn't mean you get any type of curry favor. I saw some pretty huge... I saw a World Series champion actually last year get declined from the NALCS. It happens. It, wow. it, and really, more than anything, it's it's very important to take this seriously. And I think that was reflective of what I learned about in North America last year. And I think it's a really important lesson for EU this year. Well said. He, Jacob's advice, he's usually right. Um, something I glossed over earlier is in the report, Raya also promised a player development platform. Can you elaborate on this? Yeah, so it's not necessarily determined what that exactly is. Uh I understand that it's going to be helping them in other aspects of their life. I would imagine from everything I've heard that includes things like understanding your health benefits. So in 2016, Riot mandated for the 2017 season beyond that all North American and European players are actual employees because a lot of them were independent contractors before then. I think the total was like six teams across both regions, four in NA and two in EU. Uh, so now all 20 do that, and it is a, a mandatory thing. So I think... Just because you have health insurance doesn't necessarily mean that you know what you're choosing because you do have several different options depending on your company. Right. I think Riot will kind of offer some counseling and advice of going here. Here's what this health plan means, because a lot of these players are some of them are only high school educated. Some of them mm -hmm. are not even that. Some of them have dropped out of high school to pursue this career. So uh, even though they have all these benefits, they don't quite understand them. Do these players have 401ks? 
Yeah, uh, that's part of the, at least in North America they do. It's it's a North American standard employee benefit. So yes, they do. They okay. have retirements. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah, that's a recent thing. Um, and so also I, I think one of the other things that I've been hearing that they're going to offer is they're going to offer finan- or financial planning advice for post career, which is huge. We've talked about this before. We've talked about how players should blow all their money and then go obsolete and have to go and work like deadbeat jobs, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's something that I do think needs to be taken seriously. And I, th- I th- hope this is something Riot has not implemented this to a T yet in North America. I would imagine because they have a players union that they will do the same. Actually, that was the one thing that was conspicuously missing from the Riot EU announcement. Riot EU doesn't have plans for a players union. They're going to help players, but they don't have plans to make it or make a players union like they do in NA, which are is actually common in Europe, though. Player I, unions? I don't think they are. No. Um, but I mean, it was very controversial in North America because it's riot paid, which is kind of a conflict of interest. So uh, I, I think that in Europe, things will be a little different in that scenario. But I do think it's very important that some of these players get their stuff together. I mean, I've heard of players before the employee benefit things. They just didn't report their incomes to their home countries. So they were making $60,000 or 60,000 euros a year in Europe or in Berlin and Germany. And they're from Denmark. And yeah, they're not paying taxes back home. And that's tax fraud and yep. very, very punishable. And a lot of players had that issue when they went to apply for European employment. And so, yeah, I, <laughs> I think it's very important that these players get assistance in this regard. I think it's a good thing by Riot if they're going to be offering that. For sure. I mean, it's hard to imagine what you would even do in a situation like that. Like, oops, plead ignorance. Yeah, I mean, is that? I guess that's like your only choice, you know. If you're 21 years old, you've played in the league for three years, and you're making a significant amount of money year over year and not reporting on on taxes, that's probably not very good, and that ends up biting you in the butt later in life. All right, so I know it's early, but I'd like to speculate for a second. Which 10 teams do you think will make it through? That's such a complex question. (laughs) I got to challenge you, Jacob. If you would have asked me that, for North America last year, I would have told you Cloud9, Counterwatch Gaming, Team Solomid, Echo Fox, Team Liquid, Immortals, and Dignitas. And oh, you thought Dig was going to make it. Dignitas or Envy, I thought we were going to make it. It ended up being a different list than that, and we saw FlyQuest got in, which I did not expect at first. It makes sense why they got in now, but it, it I didn't expect it when when the applications first went in. For Europe, it's a much harder question. Why don't we just keep it to three teams you think will make it through? All right, so let, let's do the three existing teams that I, I think are pretty lock. Uh, G2 Esports, uh, I think the only thing that would hold G2 back from making it in is they've had some business dealings in the past that were a little unsavory. What, what happened with Finn and Mithy when they got them from Origin, and let, let's be clear, Origin is not a great team management-wise either. So I think that's G2's one demerit. Fnatic, I think, is probably the easy choice. If they, sure. come, if they come up with the money, they really haven't had too many scandals besides the whole reverse the loan thing with G2's owner. What is uh, the reverse the loan thing? Can you that elaborate? Was, that was where the main investor for G2 Esports, Jens Hilger, and his company Bitcraft made a personal loan to Fnatic in which uh, if Fnatic defaulted, they were going to owe him equity share, which right. it was multiple team ownership problems. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... I don't think Fnatic really, besides that, because they clear that up, I don't think they really have any skeletons in their closet that I know of that would necessarily hold them back. 
So the most two interesting teams in all of the league uh, in regards to whether they make it or not are Misfits and Splice. Hmm. They're both North American owned. They both applied to NALCS and got declined. To be clear, all the teams that applied to NALCS that were European got declined. But they are very valuable in the league. Both of those brands have become stables of EU LCS since they got into the league two years ago. I think Splice and and Misfits are, are worth having in your league. Uh, I don't suspect Misfits will have problems getting the money. I don't think Splice will either. I think they're going to have to do... I think both are going to have to do a raise, and I think everyone in EU LCS will probably have to do a raise unless they've already gotten an acquisition, which I think a couple of teams are working on right now. So those two teams are really interesting to me because they're so much different than the rest of the league. And then for the others, I'm not sure. I know a lot of people are going to ask about Schalke, and I mean, I'll, I was going to ask about Vitality. I think both have interesting uh, dealings here. So, Schalke, I don't know. I want to see if they apply first, I think is the big thing. I think the way that things have gone for them and the millions of dollars they've spent that have basically resulted in nothing except relegation does not look very good for them. And it, they're going to have to go to their board and ask for approval again. And I think that's a really car- hard conversation to have if you're the esports rep at Chalka. And so it's uncomfortable. Right, but this time around they'd be franchised in. There's less risk, more reward. I don't know. It, it's hard with that background. It'd be different if they had placed, like, top six at any point. Right, right. Or, like, had made it to semifinals or finals. Vitality, I think that they're going to be working on some type of deal. I I would expect that. I want to be careful what I say here because uh, I don't want to report anything that's not true. Um, but I suspect that they'll find some way to get the money. Vitality has had some ups and downs in terms of player management in the past. I think that's something Riot has to assess. I think a lot of the European teams have skeletons in their closet that are kind of bad. G2 had player management issues when they were gamers too, if we all remember that three or four years ago. So I think that because the industry has changed so much in four years, it's really how much do you have to have to count those past demerits before things professionalized and money came into the industry. It's hard. It's a hard balance. Right. Do you think we're going to see any teams that were rejected from the NALCS apply for the EU LCS? Yes. I don't think they'll necessarily do it under their brand name, but yes. Immortals EU? 2.0? I don't think Immortals will ever be in League of Legends again. <laughs> I think that's that's that relationship did not end well. Interesting. So, I, I don't know. Like the, I mean the relationship between Immortals and Riot. I, I don't know. If they are, I think it would be NA expansion. But I don't know. It's hard. They, I mean we've we've seen reports over the last couple of weeks of them trying to buy a Bra- or buy the Brazilian Counter Strike team owned by SK Gaming. That's probably better for their brand because they can do a lot more marketing around that. Brazil is a really big country. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I, if I had to point to one though, and I'll, and again, this is speculative, so I want to be careful on what I say. Phoenix One works with the Cronkies already with the Los Angeles Gladiators. The Cronkies like esports. The Cronkies own Arsenal. There is something there to be said about <laughs> all of those pins lining up at some point. And the reason Phoenix One didn't get in is because their brand was just really bad. They they had nothing to contribute as Phoenix One. 
Golden Guardians, are 100. Th- let's compare them to 100 Thieves for a second. Forget how over in terms of popularity 100 Thieves is right now versus what Phoenix 1 was for the last two years. It is night and day what Nate Schott and his team has done with that team. And Golden Guardians and Clutch also have fan bases that are better than Phoenix 1's fan base ever was. They're better at marketing than them because they're basketball teams. And Optic is not even a contest. I think we all understand what Optic brings to the table. So I would not be surprised if the Cronkies applied to the ELCS as Arsenal with Phoenix 1 as their partner. But I don't know that for sure, and that is speculative. But I I could see that. I thought Phoenix 1 was owned by Michael Moore, not to be confused with the documentary director, Michael Moore. Yeah, they're owned by Rob Moore and... uh, Trying to remember his name. He's uh, the director for Adam Sandler's a lot of Adam Sandler, or producer for a lot of Adam Sandler's movies. They are owned by movie people, um, but the Cronkies pay them an operation fee right now for the Los Angeles Gladiators. There is a working relationship there. Gotcha. Already, so they aren't owned by the Cronkies, but they work with the Cronkies very closely. All right. Well, we can only wait with bated breath to see how this turns out. We're all out of time for the podcast today. Thank you, Jacob, for joining me and providing me your insight. For more esports content, check out ESPN.com slash esports, or you can follow us on Twitter at Rachel Youngu and at Jacob N. Wolf. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast.